0: Hey y'all, this is part one of a two-part episode with Yasmin Nair, so enjoy it, it's a good one, and come back for the next episode, which will be part two of this, and without further ado, let's get it in. Champagne Sharks. This is Trevor. You can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls. R-I-C-K-Y-R-A-W-L-S and the show Twitter is at Champagne Sharks. Um, go to Patreon to become a member of the show. For $5 a month, you get double the episodes. So you get, I think at this point, you get about, I must be up to 80. Between 70 and 80 extra episodes just by joining up for $5 a month and You get double the episodes per week. So it's a pretty good deal. And you just open up like hours and hours of listening instantly. It's awesome. And yeah, go to iTunes, rate, review the show. Go to champagnesharks.reddit.com. There's a fan community. Last thing, if you become a Patreon member, you also get access to the Discord server. The Discord is a voice and chat server for patrons of the show, and it's
1: pretty good. Now, we have with us uh, Mike. Hey, everybody. This is Mike. I'm on Twitter rarely these days, but... uh... Uh, the handle is at black exception one. We have with us Ken.
2: Yes. How are you guys doing? Um, I'm back uh, at black sports NW on Twitter, and I'm sitting here in uh, cold ass Portland, Oregon.
0: <laughs> and our guest with us today is Yasmin there.
3: Hi. Oh, so Twitter handles and so on. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. And I guess my Twitter handle is Nair Yasmin at, I mean, Nair Yasmin. And I have, I do a lot of stuff on Facebook as well. And um, I have a website, uh, yasminnayer.net. And if people really like what I have to say at the end of this, or if you like what I read, pitch a few dollars. You know, I am a freelance writer, so I survive entirely on donations, subscriptions and the occasional freelance written piece. So, yeah, thank you.
0: I, pre- I apologize I mispronounced your last name no I
3: that. that's I, I didn't I said, even know how you were don't oh it. Yeah. I said
0: Nair like the hairy removal the animal, product. I used yeah. to
3: tell my students I used to tell them that I was an heir to the Nair <laughs> and they believed me <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> was like I'm sorry I was pulling your leg but yeah, yes it's spelled,
0: yes. it spelled the same way but I should have known it no, was not pronounced no, the same no, way no 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 worries so, so my there's apologies there's also for
3: Scottish that. Schneier. so who knows how they pronounce that you know
0: <laughs> uh, one thing I'll say about about you Yasmin is you sound much more pleasant and sweet than I would have expected because you have a very um you have a very sharp you have a very sharp pen it's very acid Uh,
3: Everybody I meet in the world is sort of surprised that I don't look more like, I don't know, Snow White's, you know, um, Snow White's evil stepmother. Yes. <laughs> or some monstrous being. And quite frankly, you know, I tell them, you don't know if this is the truth. Yeah. You know, for all you know, at night I'm out killing kittens. Um, so, <laughs> I mean... Uh, Yes. I think people tend to expect, uh, you know, I always tell people, look, you're not supposed to like a writer as a person. Uh, Read my shit. And if you like what you read, go ahead. But yes, I mean, I think people are always surprised when they meet me. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I have nothing but laughter for that. I'm not <laughs> laughing at you, T. I'm not no, laughing for the fact that this has happened to me very almost every time someone meets me. I think they expect me to wear, you know, like armor and carry, um, carry Negan's baseball bat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm used to getting. Like I'm used to dead. getting yelled.
0: I'm used to getting yelled at. So yeah. I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather be laughed at. Uh, uh, yeah, nah. I, get, I get yelled at a lot online. Right. So yes. Yeah, so nice to uh, hear laughter once in a while but (laughs) but but, you know um yeah the i want to give a little background to how um we came across each other uh and this is like beating a dead horse because that's pretty we talked about it like so much but i did finally go to see the play uh slave play and we did previous episodes about it without seeing it and then um people kept defending it to me by saying oh you have to see it the reviews aren't going to Bring it across. All this stuff's not going to bring it across. So then, you know, I went to see it and it was actually worse than what the reviews prepared me for. But one thing that I had noticed when I was trying to read up on the guy who had written it, and there were a bunch of resources to the play and all this stuff, there was a lot of language that had to do with kind of making it seem like, um, kind of implying that there was some kind of um, emancipatory, um, potential within like the the race play which is like the racial version of bdsm and in addition to that as i was searching going in google scholar i just started noticing there was a lot of academic obsession or talk about uh you know bdsm and kind of like this fixation with defending it against squares because like the turfs or like the, the the radical feminists or or the different types of people. Like, there's this kind of thing where, like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend type of thing. So people are just kind of saying, oh, if all these people that we don't like don't like BDSM, we have to champion it as, you know, this kind of uh, great thing. And I got curious about what what is the academic obsession? Like, when did this start? Because to me, reading a lot of the old um, stuff with BDSM, I thought of it as something, like, that had its roots in, like, a eyes wide shut type of elite type of um, thing that kind of became more mainstream, but I never really knew about this fixation on it in the academy. And that's when I was pointed to your article. The article was called um, Your Sex is Not Radical. And that was an article that I wanted to um, talk about today, as well as uh, an interview you discussed within the article with uh, an interview
1: you have with Margaret Weiss,
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Margot Weiss, yes, yeah. Oh, Margot Weiss, I'm just messing up names. So there, there is a,
1: there is a, an academic obsession with this because I, I you know that's not that's not my thing. I know T's into that. I, you know I see a lot of it on Twitter and whatnot. You know. With the uh with uh, certain crowds and um I, I remember one article that he uh pointed out with this uh, with this lady who was uh she was a, a dominatrix, I guess, I don't know, I hope that's the right term, and she had a, a white client and he she yes. made him read Bell Hooks and all this and she acted mm-hmm. like it was this big uh you know, radical well, I, you know, you know what I'm saying. It's like this big. She's, she's, you know, combating the status quo by doing this. Oh wow, that's now a great! Like, no, you're just weird.
0: Oh, that's great. um Did you ever read that one? Do you know what he's talking about? The me? It's a yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I movie. haven't actually. Oh my god, I'd I um, love
3: to have read that. Actually, uh, hold huh, on.
0: I, I just sent you. I just sent you the link. Okay. You, can, you can just look at it sure. real quick and skim it. Um, it's in that. It's in that room. Mm-hmm, Take will. a look. It's that's good Mike. I totally forgot about that one. That is fucking dead on.
1: Yeah, and, you, know, you know, there's other ones like that, and I it, just always struck me as weird that they were acting like it's this, this. You know, and it, it made the, reading reading uh, Yasmin's article kind of made me you know drew me back to that you know the title of it especially you know yeah yeah that is like what Yasmin talks about on steroids
0: the one about uh, and we discussed in a previous episode your sex da- is not radical <laughs> you know? yeah yeah meet the dominatrix who requires the men who hire her to read black feminist theory and she has a lot of write ups they're very weird the 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 writers because the thing that jumped out at me about the article in the previous episode that we did talking about this article, it talks about how she couldn't find a job and she couldn't do all this stuff. And that kind of pushed her into this. And what we were saying is there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, doing the sex work if that's what you want to do or if, you know, that's what you're happy doing, you know, to each their own. There's nothing wrong with that. But it was weird to me that she was saying she fell into it because she had an advanced degree and she couldn't get a job. And people were kind of ignoring that because I was like, You know, this woman should be able to find because she said said that she did to find money to eat and to pay her rent. And I'm like, instead of like focusing on that, she's doing this supposedly radical woke BDSM. I think she focused on the fact that she's probably deep in student loan debt and she couldn't find a job and she couldn't eat. And, you know, and yeah, it kind of ties into your article about how a lot of times our sex choices and stuff don't really equate to actual anti-capitalist or material solutions.
3: Right. So, I mean, if I could give... uh, Can I sort of jump in at this point? Sorry.
0: Oh, my God, please do.
3: Oh, okay. So just to... Yes, so it's interesting. I'm looking over this essay that you just sent me, thank you, uh, about the, the dominatrix who requires... I think I actually have seen it before. You may have included it in a set somewhere. But um, so just to give a little bit of background, though, you know, about me and about how and why I came to write um, Your Sex Is Not Radical, is that, you know, I belong to a queer radical world, right? A totally, ra- you know, queer world where all of this is prevalent and in play, no pun intended, you know, sex work, um, BDSM, all, all sorts of alternative sex play, etc., etc. Uh, you know, it's about as radical queer as you can possibly get. So I sort of grew up in this as it were, and I always tell people I was raised by lesbians, wolves, and then I was adopted by, you know, a bunch of queer. Wolves. say this is like my this is my DNA right this is my tribe in other words I belong in this particular space but at some point um, and I, I was trying to think about when exactly I you know decided I was really having trouble with all of this I moved from I should say you know if you don't mind my speaking for a little bit about all of this I moved from Indiana to Chicago Illinois because I felt that I wasn't able to access a um, and I hadn't yet, wasn't yet done with my degree. And then I moved to Illinois because I realized that I wasn't being challenged politically and I wasn't being challenged as a queer person in the sense that, you know, in Indiana, where I was in West Lafayette, Indiana, when I was going to Purdue, uh, a lot of what was, you know, gay activism was to be pretty mainstream, it was about marriage, which horrified me. It was about the military. It was about hate crime legislation, all of which horrified me because those are all really conservative, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I moved to Chicago looking for a sort of a queer radical left space, right? So a space I wanted a space that was leftist as as much as possible, and also queer as opposed to being gay and lesbian in this very sort of mainstream way. Um, so uh, I can't go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. Can no. you just can you
0: just explain that for people who don't understand what yes. the, what the difference is? Yes. Like, uh, yeah. Yes.
3: Sure. Sure. So for me, you know, being in a, a sort of a predominantly gay and lesbian space meant being around people who were thinking about queer people, who were thinking about gay and lesbian issues, but were not thinking necessarily beyond, say, for instance, things like gay marriage. So gay marriage to me felt very much like a prescriptive very um uh, bourgeois very, yes sure. thank you yes very bourgeois but also very sort of ca- yeah and very capitalist informed very safe and it, it, let let me put it this way i was 8 years old when i decided that i never wanted to get married right so i was sitting there going why the fuck am i now that i've come out as queer what the fuck am i doing with people who want to get married. <laughs> like I came out for this. You know, so I remember thinking this is really wrong. Why are queer people? Why are gay and lesbian people in particular as opposed to queers who I would say I would define as not being limited to say the gender binary for instance. And for me queer also meant thinking about being in different kinds of sexual relationships that were not straight, certainly, but also about contesting this other world of politics, you know, and how do you contest capitalism? And this is around the 90s. as We were all thinking about the, the multiple wars raging, you know, the Gulf War and so on. So we were I was trying to think, like, how do I, as a person who is not, quote-unquote, normative sexually, how do I also fit myself into a left politics uh, that's also not necessarily normative? And I wasn't finding it among gays, you know, sort of the standard issue gay and lesbian politics, which at the time was really... Had not quite picked up on gay marriage. Was getting there. The other thing that the um,
0: around what around what time was this? This
3: would be. So I moved to Chicago in ninety seven. So I would say yes. So like I moved here ninety seven ninety nine ish around ninety seven. Yeah, I moved here to ninety seven. That
0: yeah. makes sense because I remember. I remember in as late as the late eighties, early nineties, there was still very much a nonconformist streak to a lot of the gay. Um, activism and i remember um noticing one day that so much of it was about like you know doing very Bourgeois capitalist consumerist things like, you know, the right to have a wedding registry and have a, a marriage and and to be in the military, like you said. And I was kind of wondering, like, exactly when it happened. Like, I remember yes. the before and the after. I yes. just remember the actual yes. shift.
3: Yes. What happened in the interim period, and you're absolutely right about that timeline, what happened in the interim period is you got massive gay nonprofits like Human Rights Campaign coming up, comprised almost entirely of extremely wealthy gays and lesbians who wanted to become part of society you know had wanted to have their own social register so that's where you see this kind of conservatism creeping in you also see uh, a depletion of political energy in the gay and lesbian community because of and the, the quote unquote end of the AIDS crisis so we had a lot of loss of political energy And the sort of mainstream gay politics came in to fill the void, as it were. But gay marriage was only one issue. The other thing that happened, as you know, was, you know, Matthew Shepard's killing at the time, the murder of Matthew Shepard in Wyoming. And I can remember standing around. We were holding a candlelight vigil. And I can remember holding, you know, one of those candles with a little paper cup around it. Um, And obviously, yes, you know, feeling mournful about what had happened. But I also remember listening to everyone who was talking about what needed to be done, and everyone was talking what today we would call, right, more more openly we would talk about as the prison industrial complex. So people were talking about retaliating to a heinous, horrible murder, but they were talking about it in terms that really laid down the prison industrial complex as a solution. They were saying, you know, we're going to find, essentially, to put it bluntly, right, they were saying, you know, we're going to find these people and they we're going to put them in jail. We're going to do. And then at the, at the same time, you know, people like Joanne Wipojewski were writing in The Nation. They were they were presenting much more complicated analyses around class in that whole scenario of Matthew Shepard uh, and talking about the class vectors, you know, Matthew Shepard versus, say, the townies, for instance. Of, and as we know now, there's a much more complicated narrative around Matthew Shepard's murder. Which basically says that it wasn't just, you know, wasn't actually a homophobic murder. But at the time, we didn't know all of that. All I knew standing in that sort of plaza in West Lafayette, Indiana, with my little candle was I don't like this conversation. I don't like this push towards a prison industrial complex. I don't like this talk about imprisonment and putting people in prison. It's it's felt really violent to me. And I didn't understand how that was going to, you know, it, this extreme brutality was going to be reconciled or resolved by resorting to a different kind of violence. So I felt a real gap. Yes, please.
0: I don't fully understand what you mean by that solution. We you they're discussing the prison industrial complex, what specific thing were they saying about it? Were they saying that they want... Revenge. Uh, revenge. Oh, okay. So, so, oh, and oh, I so, hate
3: revenge. I hate the oh, idea.
0: Oh, 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 I see. So they want a... I guess similar to hate crime legislation. They want more.
3: That's what was being pushed. As we know now, we do have. I'm so sorry. Thank you for, by the way, I do uh, thank you for interrupting me and asking me these questions because I think I tend to talk in my own head sometimes for long periods of time. And I forget that I'm not exactly that people need to be uh, told exactly what are the points I'm picking up on. But yes, exactly. Hate crime legislation is now, as you know, it's named after Matthew Shepard and uh, it's so that hate crime legislation for me even then was a problem i understood it as a problem even though i hadn't quite theorized it so you see where i'm coming from is that you know there's a moment in time where i'm sort of feeling like i am queer but i'm not quite where all my queer lgbtq comrades are i don't understand i need a different kind of pull of politics so i'd already had the point of this being is to say that i had already had some issues around where LGBTQ politics was going at the time. And then I moved to Chicago. I thought I found, you know, I, and for a while, you know, we did some, I did some interesting work around anti-gentrification and queers, for instance, et cetera, et cetera. But eventually marriage then took over. Um, but into, through all of that, you know, when I moved to Chicago, I came into contact with a larger left community. You know, as you know, Chicago is, you know, has been a bastion of left political fomenting for a long time. And I noticed, what I noticed there was that, again, I was like, even in the straight community, you know, there was a sense, and in the queer community, there was a sense that if you were uh, some sort of um, any kind of um, deviant, quote unquote, or if you were, you know, if you were practicing certain kinds of sexual practices, or um, for me, for instance, being resolutely against marriage has always been important but that doesn't automatically make you a left radical. It doesn't make you a political radical, right? So, and people, I felt like, especially in the queer community, people were beginning to sort of, I think people were beginning to imbibe this idea that to be a political radical, you must also have sexually radical practices. And I remember thinking that's sort of odd, whether or not I practice those is not the point, right? Uh, whether um, or not, go ahead, yes. I and mean, a
0: quick question. The word "deviant" um, yes. is I that, oh, theory is theory. that a word that's considered a pejorative to use, or is no, it, I, it like like is it is it loaded with judgment, or is that something that I
3: used it very flippantly? It was actually in the title of my dissertation. It's I use okay. it I use it in a historical sense as in yeah. how historians might have classified certain. Okay, uh, and, by, and by the
0: way, that wasn't me admonishing you. That was a no, genuine no, no. I know. No, no, b- no, you're yeah, I, you, yeah. Yeah, I honestly don't. I honestly don't know. No, that's I didn't mean, fine, that's I, fine. I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you, right. but, but yeah. No, no,
3: but that so that was going on, and then actually, I think the moment that may have sparked my writing the essay was when a very, very dear friend of mine, with whom I had sort of grown up, you know, we were both queerdos with... He's younger than me, but we had both sort of grown up together in this queer radical space that was making headway in, again, you know, sort of mid to late 90s. There were blogs, you know, and so on and so forth, LGBTQ blogs. We were following interesting radical work, et cetera, et cetera. And he, and he was very young at the time. He would just left college. Um, and they, to, they told me about trying to connect politically with people, but feeling like they were constantly being policed and surveilled and being admonished, actually for not being quote unquote radical enough, right? So, and I realized then talking to other people, more people that this was happening to a lot of queer people in my circles. And I felt like this is dreadful because all these people I know are amazingly radical in their politics, right? They have fantastic anti-capitalist perspectives. They do amazing anti-war work. Uh, they're out there in the bloody desert, you know, trying to work with uh, migrants and refugees acro- running across the border. They're doing fantastic work some would never do. And yet they're being mocked because simply because they won't adopt certain kinds of sexual practices or certain certain kinds of sexual roles and relationships you know they're not excuse me they're not polyamorous enough etc etc and i thought this is really fucking bullshit uh, plus a lot of my most radical friends are even you know um i would call them serial monogamous <laughs> they just keep getting married yeah
0: we know something that's interesting is some of the people i meet who are some of the most uh i don't sex presenting as a Term, but you know they're always presenting, you know, their sexual lifestyles or making a big deal about presenting how non-conformist they are in the sexual practices. Have been some of the most banal thinkers uh, yes. politically. I've, yes. I've, I've come across <laughs> yes. like it's it's really amazed me, but they've <laughs> right. kind of deluded themselves into yes. acting like they have something very important to say right. just by being e- even verbally just unnecessarily raunchy in how they talk. And this is not me being prudish; like I don't no, no, care no. about. It, it, swearing or being raunchy, but as soon as they were doing it performatively. Performative,
3: I was just going to say, yes, there's a performativity to all of that. And I want to say, I, I do want to emphasize, you can actually be both as well, right? You can also, you know, you can absolutely be both. But what I was seeing, and I think basically, you know, to be honest, you know, I was really angry about what had happened to my beloved friend. And I was angry about the fact that a lot of young people coming up, uh, I should say younger people coming up through the ranks of queer, radical, leftist work, we're being discouraged, and we're being stymied, and we're being sort of pushed aside simply because you know they weren't fucking the right kinds of people or in the right way. And that's when I tossed out you know, this piece. I didn't toss it out, I you know, obviously gave the thought to it. And this is also, you know, polyamory keeps coming up like a bad plague over and over again. There was again. an article
0: it? about it just the other day, yes, right? Yes,
3: I know, and that's what prompted me to uh, recirculate my piece. I'm actually gonna be addressing all of this again in another piece, which I'll send you when it's done. But yes, uh, polyamory is becoming a really big topic. And I think, you know, here's how I describe polyamory, right? I talk about it as gay marriage for straight people. That's really all polyamory is. And what what I mean by that is there was a time, right, when gay marriage, which is ridiculous and conformist and has absolutely, you know, very little use in the world, gay marriage was seen as the sort of most radical cause you could take up if you were a straight person. And I think now people are looking around thinking, what can we possibly take up that seems really cool and hip and happening? Oh, look, polyamory. And I just want to say, the only I mean, I'll stop here and say, you know, when it comes to polyamory which is one of the central themes of this piece that I wrote. When it comes to polyamory, and everyone talks about you know, Ethical Slut is a ridiculous book. It took me about maybe forty five minutes to read in a bookstore, and it was it's it's a terrible book. It's and they love that
0: book. I've heard about it forever. It's it's
3: banal as hell. I mean, you know, pick it up from your local library. It'll take you maybe half an hour or so to read. It's very banal. It's very problematic because of all the hierarchies it sets up. But really, what I want to say to people who go on about polyamory, and I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, what I really want to say to people is, look, stop obsessing about what kinds of categories you can place all your partners into what you can do. What are the ethics? Just fuck people right like just go fuck people and are there ethics to all of that absolutely but you know what queer men and women have been practicing what you call polyamory dear straight people we have been practicing it for centuries and and, and straight people used to judge them for it yes and now they want a piece of the pie not
0: not only a piece of the pie but they want to they want, they want Christi- the whole pie no, 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 they want to Columbus it they want to act like they discovered it like you know suddenly yeah. That's they're exactly. acting like they uh discovered this Great, thing that they would
3: this beautiful new thing. It's called yeah. polyamory. Look like, fuck you. Uh, I'd be cool. yeah, We had this. <laughs>
0: um, just for the audience members and also in case my co-hosts don't know, the name of the article that uh she's talking about that kind of re-sparked interest in her piece, uh it came about December 20th. It was an article from Quartz that was getting circulated all over Twitter, and the title was Polyamorous Sex is the most quietly revolutionary political weapon in the United States. So, yeah. <laughs> not trying to understate anything. They they went there with it. They said, "Listen, this is the most quietly revolutionary." And even though it wasn't about BDSM, it felt like in spirit the same, you know, the same attitude that oh, our sex lives are going to change the world and free everybody. And whether it's like Slave play, whether it's um, BDSM professors in the ivory tower or um antifa guys who have two girlfriends, like this this common theme that is going around. And what is interesting with poly with poly people, they seem to be, and I know i will probably get in trouble for this, but a lot of them just seem to be like people who might not have gotten laid enough high school become like sex nerds a lot of the ones that are openly vocal about it because i've known some poly people who treat their polyness like other people treat their monogamy or, or their or their straightness where it doesn't come up unless it's organic to the conversation like i had one friend i knew him for months before i found out he and his wife were um poly right so i'm not talking about people like him i'm talking about the ones who adopt it as an identity like like they hashtag it on on social media and They won't shut up about it. We'll tell anyone who will listen, like, you know their rules and how they and the partner to do it like those guys i find like sex nerds and i feel like just like bdsm sex nerds too and the nerd nerd with sex doesn't go together it doesn't it takes not nerd as an identity but nerd as the practice of nerding out right. over something like you know what i mean like
3: yeah. and that's what Margot wise talks about as well in the interview that you mentioned you know she says that even bdms is not an identity it's a set of practices so and i think that's where because these things are practices they then become parts of rule books in a way there's almost a playbook that you have to take to your next orgy every time (laughs) have you followed stricture number 23 no well then um, and again I am not mocking you know I'm not I'm not I, I do think there are polyamorous people who are genuinely just trying out polyamory and who are actually genuinely interested in what polyamory might bring them I just I'm not mocking people who are trying out a set of practices that they feel can, yes.
0: If they like and- CrossFit or veganism with it where where, as soon as you meet them (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) if they treat polyamory like CrossFit or veganism then it is becoming
3: that isn't it yeah Yeah, and I think that's unfortunate because I actually do I want to sincerely say that I think that any kind of experimentation uh, including and we know we can and we should talk about race play and so on with all this complicated uh, facets I think any kind of experimentation is, uh, is, is to be welcomed right and I think it is to be encouraged and i think people do what they have to do everyone gets to whatever space they need to get to in whatever way they want to get to my objection is to the ways in which I've, i think your crossfit metaphor is really great because i think that's exa- it becomes so prescriptive and it also becomes a way of gatekeeping and i what i saw in the queer radical communities and i think it still sort of exists is that is this kind of gatekeeping that if you're not all the way here in relation to say sexual practice you're just not queer enough and that can be devastating for a lot of people
1: yeah, i imagine it's kind of ironic because a lot of them you know are particular about how you refer to them how you you know ref, you know refer to their sexuality i'm him her his and you know i'm gender non conformity. they get upset if you try to box them into a you know particular category but you know at the same time they they don't feel any you know qualms about trying to box you into a, a specific group or, or uh, based or on deciding, your sexual behaviors.
3: Deciding what you are. And again, yes, I mean, I think, um, right, right. I think that does happen. And I think what would be useful for all of us is to say, you know, how... So I don't want to dismantle polyamory. You know, I don't want to get rid of it. I don't want... It is what it is for people. That's fine. Marriage, for instance, I don't, I don't think... I'm not going to run in and say to people, I'm going to tear up your marriage licenses, right? My attitude is you know if marriage is what gets you health care if marriage is what gets you citizenship take it and run do but don't make it into the system that the, the only system that guarantees you access to life saving benefits that's always been our argument at against equality this group that i co-founded with uh, Ryan Conrad we've always been we're absolutely against marriage but our point is not to insult people personally for being married most of my, you know, to use a cliche most of my best friends are married but, you know, it's to say don't make marriage the bedrock upon which people's survival depends, right? And I feel the same way about polyamory what, what annoys me and what irritates me is this kind of, it is that it is acquiring not only that it's acquiring a sort of a fashionable patina, you know, patina of fashion but that it is turning into gatekeeping and this ridiculous idea that somehow who you fucking how you fuck is how you bring about revolution is just appalling to me because frankly we're having a really hard time right now bringing about the revolution
0: Every every see so many uh Republican like hate monger type guys who get caught, you know, doing all types of sexually mm. quote unquote devi-
1: in the airport bathroom. Yeah, 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 all
0: uh, all these quote unquote deviant acts and it's like if being sexually so-called deviant was any type of uh politically activating act, these people would not be who they are, but they can they, I mean, yeah, some of the most like regressive patriarchal whatever politics Racist beliefs have been attached to some of the most nonconforming sex behaviors you can uh, imagine.
3: I mean, hey, remember the '80s when we had all those wonderful sex scandals around Republican pastors? Oh I used yeah, those days.
2: Jimmy Swagger, <laughs> the Jimmy Swagger right? I
3: have seen. Right, right. I have nostalgia. <laughs> I have serious nostalgia for that era. <laughs> Not everybody's no, into it, that shit. It's interesting.
2: <laughs> what we I'm, I've told you guys before, like uh, I took that marriage and intimacy, intimacy intimacy class in undergrad, and one of the things that they found was in some of the reddest states, they had some of the most very interesting searches among the porn that they watched. (laughs) (laughs) For as racist as they were, they were very interested in the quote-unquote homo thug porn.
3: Mm, porn. Interesting. You
2: know what I mean? Or interracial sex or ebony, quote-unquote ebony sex. And this is in Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, all, all those West Virginia all those and that kind of uh, is what the problem with a lot of that
3: does really well
2: there <laughs> that's yeah, one of the yeah.
0: problems with a lot of that anti-racism where they keep trying to tell people if everyone just sleeps together of different races oh, it's bullshit. gonna yeah yeah it's gonna like Sorry. clear up all the racism <laughs> I'm it's it's
1: like, so like that hasn't been happening for thousands of years yeah yeah <laughs> oh, yeah. right right, right, yeah. right,
2: right.
0: Y- yeah slavery colonialism like you know saying. they were right. having plenty of sex right. I would add a third thing to what you said uh, Yasmin you said uh, prescriptive and gatekeeping I would add proselytizing is a third Ingredient yes, that yes. gets That's thrown in there. That's
3: probably the most annoying too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where they, they
0: want to convert everybody, they, right. like missionaries—no pun intended—for right. uh, oh,
3: poly, polyamorous. Intended. See, every everybody. pun intended. You know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, for, for uh, polyamorous sex, it's uh, crazy. Yeah.
3: And I think, yeah, so, you know, bringing it to the question of race play, I think that that brings us, right, I mean, and I'll leave you, uh, not to take this where I want, but I am interested in this idea about, right, what kinds of, how does sex play a role in reconfiguring social and political relations does it and can it and how do we for me what's really important in as much you know you said at the very beginning and i hope you'll leave that in in the in, in in the edit is that you know you said at the very beginning that i have this sort of acerbic personality and part of what i do a lot of is to say you know some x is bullshit but we just need to inter what, what i always try to do in my work is that i do i am extremely critical of as you say you know the sort of proselytizing discourse on a lot of matters like gay marriage etc but for me what's really important about that is is to open up with that, to open up a space to actually talk about the actual radical potential of any. so when i am bashing polyamory i'm bashing simply the people you know uh make it seem like if you're not polyamorous you're not revolutionary enough or that somehow you know fucking people is somehow bringing about a revolution all i'm saying is well we have apps you know we can see evidence that that's not happening however i want to ask what role can it play does it play a role
1: have you come to any conclusions i mean do you think there is a role for for that
3: what I do think is that in the best possible world, and I love thinking about utopias, right? But I think in the best possible world, we sit. A, 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 an ideal world is one where everyone has the opportunity to part a of any sort of sexual fantasy, sexual configuration, sexual relationship. Obviously, yes, you know, we can talk about limits and so on. No one's touching my cat, but um, no, I just meant that. But you know, uh, but but I do think <laughs> that uh, I think we have. To to. to have an ideal society is where we give people freedom to think about sexual practices and how they might animate their political life but we also don't insist that only certain kinds of sexual practices count so which is why right for you know for millennia we have been fighting against the idea at least some of us have been fighting against the idea that heterosexual marriage or heteronormative marriage is the best way to have children and to create a healthy world now there are lots of gays and lesbians. We're saying that as well. So we have to keep militating against that. But for me, an ideal world is not one where no one is allowed to marry. An ideal world is where no one feels the need to marry. So, for instance, to bring this back to gay marriage, when gay marriage was passed and was made legal in Canada, they found that people just weren't getting married for a very simple reason Canadians don't need to get married for healthcare. Mm. And they were like, yeah, okay, fine. No, no, we got married. Okay, cool. We're not getting married. Matter. we don't have here in the united states gay marriage was fought on the grounds that we need to have gay marriage so that people can get health care and all of us queer radicals were going are you stupid this is so fucked up you are basically cementing a system that says no one deserves a basic human right unless they are in a certain kind of relation so you see that's the I mean, but difference they, they're
1: that- living in that system though so i, I kind of get that as far as you know you know you, you live with the person for you know 30 years and they die and you're not entitled to their pension or
3: well how you know, about if I mean, we had a world where if you live with a person after, and after 30 years that person dies you as an individual have not been affected by that person's death because you have been taken care of by the state you see what i mean, I mean yeah, know, so, yeah i mean well, that's not an like, ideal that's, there's, that's, the, there's the world yeah. we want and the world we live in well but the world we live in <laughs> but the world we want is the world that exists. It is a world that exists in Europe. It is a world that exists up to the north, Canada. It's not an impossible world. There's a fantastic legal scholar named Nancy Polikoff who wrote Beyond Straight and Gay Marriage. And I think to my undying uh, regret, uh, it's not, I keep pushing it as much as I can because it's a fantastic book which shows how in the United States, there are and there have been and there will continue to be many possibilities for creating a world where we don't rely on marriage for basic things like healthcare right? So it is absolutely a possibility. Uh, I'll give you one example. I'll give you one, I, I will give you one example of how the gay and lesbian community has willfully struck out against the possibility of change, right? Actual change. So Obama, of whom I am not the best, biggest admirer, but I will say this about Obama, He instituted the change in law, which said that part, you know, that so one of the big complaints the gay community had was that when a person, a gay, gay, lesbian person is in the hospital, you know, last days, etc. They don't have the if they if they're not married to the person, they don't have a right to be visited by, say, their lovers and so on. Right. Or their partners because they weren't married. That was just and Obama changed that. What he did, though, was say, and was, he had some beautiful words about this. What he said was, you know, it is, it is terrible that we don't recognize that at the end of, ends of their lives, people often form deep and lasting friendships. And it is inhumane to deny people the chance to be visited by and to be taken care of their friends, right? Long-term friends or their partners. So in other words, he included, this was, is this was huge to me, he didn't just say you know your sexual partners or your romantic partners and so on he said because for a lot of elderly people as you know who may have lost their partners earlier on right their friendships that they form at the ends of their lives are actually extremely significant so it was a beautiful statement do you know what the gay lesbian community did they raged about this they had actually wanted this kind of legislation but what they were angry about was well but
2: it's not yet
0: marriage well yeah this is terrible this is terrible but what's interesting interesting about that was there used to be this kind of thing where it was what you said we just want to have the rights anyone else would want without having to conform to get those rights but one thing that i feel like has changed but it's not just for gay people i mean it's happened to black people too where uh i call it like seat at the table politics where people just started wanting to feel like there's a conformity that kind of crept in yeah 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 yeah. people just just felt it was like high school people were sick of not being at the cool kids table or feeling like normal like people started chasing a sense of normalcy rather than the freedom to be different and it happened with like gay with black politics too like now all they talk about now is things like Oscars so white and for some reason it's supposed to be some kind of big thing when black millionaires get gold statues that's supposed to be like progress (laughs) I mean there's there's black people all over who can't eat or work Getting shot in the street. Um, yeah, that subject
1: came up recently too, uh, with the uh, with that article talking about the uh, three uh, women that were, you know, at the head of the uh, CIA
3: oh yes, yeah yeah exactly uh, the, the, the major defense co- uh, companies were all now headed by women Woo-hoo! <laughs> right? okay. yeah yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, like, yeah. And, and there was a yes, tweet right? that, there was a tweet yes. that was
0: celebrating it yes. i felt like yes. is this the onion is this the right. call like it was written <laughs> appalling, like
3: appalling. yeah, yeah. It,
0: it, it had like a what's that picture of the woman who we can do it uh with the arm yeah rosie the riveter yeah yeah, rosie the riveter right. somebody put uh a, a, a flexing arm as an emoji like you know um I think it might have been Al Jazeera, America. I, I don't remember who it was, but it, AJ Plus, it was some kind of site that put the Rosie the Riveter like arm as a, and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's kind of like the
1: end of that book, uh, uh, 1984, where, where everybody's just falling in love with Big Brother now, you know? And it's just, you know, everybody seems, you know, it's just like we gave up on changing anything. It's like, okay, let me just get a, a spot in here somewhere.
3: Without yeah. fundamentally shifting, right? And what needs to happen is we just smash the system. Instead, I think we get pulled over we get sort of distracted by constantly thinking well if we can just get into the system and i think some of us are deluded enough to think if we just get into the system we can break it down from within no
0: it never works works. (laughs)
3: because by then they've implanted little pills into your brain and you don't think anymore
0: they're not stupid they are not going to let you get in without betting you first like they're gonna make sure that like it's made to it's like putting a square peg through a circular hole that square peg's not going to get in until the sharp edges are shaved off it's just not going to happen it's not going through that hole without being without being round uh so one way or the other it better learn to make itself round if it's plans to get through they set it up that way like one debate that i was having and it was interesting because i got pushback on this and you might give me pushback on it but i'm not sure but i'll throw it out there was that there's this thing where i feel like being gay is not honest is not this automatic sentence to a miserable life that it once was particularly if you have other things to offset it like white privilege if you have money and you have a lot of these white rich gay people who have a lot of the money and resources to kind of steer the ship on gay rights they have a lot of different things they create to insulate themselves from a lot of the problems that a lot of other gays are doing like are dealing with like poor gays and and, and black queers, you know, like uh, homeless, uh, out of control, homelessness, r- runaways, uh things, abuse, being trafficked disproportionately into like some types of sex works. And, you know, there's, there's different issues that I read about in uh, queer literature that a lot of these people who are kind of steering the ship don't have to deal with like their biggest concern really is you know i want a wedding registry and i want to be able to do what my straight friends and my uh white carter job are doing you, you know but what happens is that's not always the most simple like their first world problems that a lot of them deal with isn't the most appealing or heartstrings type of stuff it, it isn't like seeing black people get hit with water hoses and dogs it's not the kind of thing that really rallies people sympathetically and like you said the aids thing kind kind of is not what it used to be it, a, a lot of it has been it's not the death sentence it used to be so i feel like to me they use a lot of the optics of what poor and queer of color poor qu- queer people and queers of color are dealing with but then when they use that to kind of fundraise they funnel that money and attention and sympathy they get into their first world their own problems yep.
3: so i'll yeah no it's not actually i was going to say um and i'm going to include a shameless plug here actually it was just published uh today i just i wrote an article for current affairs titled should i gay should i go or should i stay it's about the gay nonprofit industrial complex and i say exactly what you've said actually so I'm oh, delighted. Wow. yeah i'm delighted to hear what you have just said because that's exactly what i say in this piece. it's actually out if you are a digital subscriber to current affairs you already have seen it but it should be out uh, you know fairly soon but exactly Um, In fact, it is the gay nonprofits that, that are being deployed by the wealthy, mostly gay men that you just talk about who are, yes, and they're very happy. So, for instance, right now, within the gay community, queer youth homelessness is is the big fundraising issue. <laughs> you know, if you want... A, because all these organizations are looking around and going, okay, we got hate crime legislation, we got military inclusion, and we got marriage. How, what is there a reason for us to exist anymore? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What is there they raise money on? Like- oh, look, 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 look. Queer, young, and mostly black and brown youth. Let's look at that. Um, so they get all these stories about how, you know, 40% of LGBTQ youth are homeless because of homophobia, et etc. et cetera. And they're basically using, um, you know, organizations in Chicago, like the Center on Halstead, which is the gay center here in Chicago, are basically using and abusing, quite frankly, mostly African American and Latino, uh, mostly African American, actually, um, youth, LGBTQ youth, who have to trek from, I, I, just to explain a little bit about Chicago politics and geography is that the north side here is extremely white and the south and west sides are black and Latino respectively, mostly in terms of concentration. It's all getting gentrified. Of course, everyone's going to be white or you know or rich Asians in a, in a little while. But right now, those are the racial dynamics. So what's happening is that young LGBTQ youths from the south and west sides have to make their way into an extremely racist north side to get some very basic, quote unquote, services, from this effed-up center on Halstead. and I'll give you one example of what happens there: is that, for instance, uh, you know they are constantly surveilled by neighborhood uh, watch people. They're constantly being surveilled by the cops. They were, and I think I believe they still are. Young people are are being asked to use the back entrance. Uh, then, you know, they're constantly being policed because the center is shares a space with Whole Foods. They're constantly being policed for quote-unquote shoplifting without any consideration for the fact that these are extremely poor young people you know who are living on the street basically and coming here for very basic services etc cetera, etc cetera. but at the same time you know that is the big money part right now in the gay community so you have all these white gay people hosting gala fundraisers and talking about how much they want to do for queer youth while being extraordinarily racist and surveillance towards them at the same time right so yeah um so no i absolutely agree with you that this is what's happening. Um, this is just the the gay so the gay nonprofit complex basically survives in order to as you ex- exactly the word that's also the phrase I use social registry you know it's, it's it's it it provides a kind of a classed social register for them you know it's a bit like having uh, the Met Gala <laughs> you know as a you know for gay people right let's have our gala fundraisers let's prove that we have social cachet we're creating our own kind of mini aristocracy and we're being Philanthropists, Right. So philanthropy is a way to acquire class status. This has just been historically true, right? Yeah. The Vanderbilt's, all of them. I mean, you know, they're all Thousand,
0: thousand, Yeah. Exactly. Thousand dollar plates. Exactly. And exactly. And
3: that's what the gay community gets to emulate and mimic within the gay nonprofit industrial complex which is why gay nonprofits exist they exist just to exist uh, the,
0: and it's, it's the same thing with a lot of the black stuff there's a lot of these black uh fancy organizations like you know black lawyer associations and stuff and it's like the charity is probably something where if they just instead of all the money that this took to um create the charity and to rent out the hall and to order the catering or whatever, if you took the net profit compared to just what they spent, it'd probably be better off just donating that money not throwing the event, just donating it straight to people. But they have all this pomp and circumstance when it's all said and done what they net is far less than what it was all worth to go through. But right. it kind you know, of... Yeah. yeah, it's all political yeah. and it networking is. and stuff. And I mean, yes,
3: exactly. And... You just want to look at these people and go, listen, motherfuckers, just sign over a check. You know, instead of putting up like thousands dollars for a stupid plate at a banquet just give a thousand dollars to an organization that's actually doing really good work you know just do that but no because if they did that they wouldn't be able to dress up and again you know, um, so and they really probably won't add. be
0: able to skim off a lot of the money too, because because how much of that money actually and reaches? And whatnot. Oh, yeah. I just that even if it doesn't get skimmed off, say it goes to a charity. A lot of times we don't know what agenda is going to. Like for example, to use the gay example, you might think it's actually going to these uh, homeless kids, but maybe half of it goes to well, gay marriage is done, but some some other type of uh, thing that's ostensibly helping gay people, but really only helps the rich ones because mm-hmm. because happens with black people too like like we get told uh oh this is to help like black people suffering and then you find out it's to make sure um that more more black people get to move into like nice buildings or something like like it's <laughs> something that's that's not even like you know but technically it is going to help black people it's just not going to help the black people that they use to gain sympathy like you know you didn't say that when you gained the charity that you were doing it to help um white collar black people get jobs or housing like like it's it was interesting interesting i had a lot of pushback on what i told you yesterday but from black gay people because there are a bunch of black gay people are coming at me on twitter because i was talking about this ed buck thing and you guys know about yes, this, ed, yes. this ed buck thing right oh yeah and i was and i was complaining i was like why do this gay activist george m johnson he goes on this spiel right and he's talking about homophobia homophobia behind the ed buck thing and then he calls out these uh pro-black people as being too homophobic to mention ed black Which is not true because there were like 10 pro-black people. And even if you think, you know, some of them are the most problematic, hotepish black people on earth. They were on record on Twitter talking about Ed Buck. So I don't know why he was saying that. It blatantly wasn't true. But then when he talked about the queer white allies, he made it. He didn't use the word racism. Like he, he said homophobia over and over Mm -hmm. But then for them,
3: interesting. For
0: them, he actually used the word homophobia again. I'm like, wait a minute, they're not being homophobic, right? But so why use a homophobic for them? But then he also, to the degree he called them out, he made it sound like a benign neglect. Like you have to, it felt under the radar. They're too busy. Doing white
1: things and yeah, it wasn't a con. It wasn't a conscious effort. Yeah. to uh, avoid the subject or whatever. Yeah, just, yeah. Oh, you can't help it because of your insulation problem. Yeah, yeah. Insulation,
0: great word, exactly. Oh, because it's because your insulation. Like those are room of forgiveness for them, and I was like, if you're going to have that same energy to call, you know, black people homophobic, you have to have yeah, that same it. in a situation yes, where yes, it, yeah, no, yeah. no black people are involved except no, the victims. I know, yeah. right? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I love how every time something involving yes uh black people who are also gay there's always this whole thing of oh you know but the black community is so homophobic right we just they just can't help it i mean this happened with prop 8 um as i Recall, is it was the same sort of issue where again, black homophobia, quote unquote, is raised as a specter. That's the real problem, as opposed to can we take care of the fact that the there the, have been, you know, how many three, I think, right, the young black men have died?
1: Only two, as far as two? I know. okay, right. okay, right, right, exactly.
3: And that's what people we, have we been might saying. might a whole right. situation. Right. Right. Yeah, this guy's got right. in the freezer. Exactly, because people have been saying right that we kept seeing so many young black men, in particular, coming. In and out, completely drugged up. We've now got evidence. I was going through the Twitter feed as well this evening. You know the diary entries, right? Yeah, the diary man. entries yeah, were crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: because because GL- um, Glad and another group, and they finally addressed it. They turned it all back to gay issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They made it all about gay stuff. They said, oh yeah, so this is proof of the uh oppression that gay people face. And then they touted gay organizations. Like, wait a minute, how is it? And then they, then they said, it's a shame these men died of. A drug overdose, like no, an overdose right. is like you're an addict. This yeah. guy hooked them. Yes. yeah The diary thing right. said that he right. actually actively hooked them, and it said oh, that whoa, he what? Wait, hold on, what? <laughs> he dosed them. He gave them. They, they didn't try. One of them who had a diary entry said he never tried meth before him. The guy basically pushed meth on him, and he kept giving him and forcing meth on him every time he saw him. And he said that he likes to target underprivileged, you know, whatever. But all these uh, black gay people kept coming to me in my. Men- Saying no, but black homophobia is real. I'm gonna listen, even if okay, it's real, it yeah, 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 oh, no, has no. nothing to do with this. Yeah, this, yeah is, exactly. this is
2: not the situation they even go there. And you know, it's like I talked to someone yesterday on Twitter. I said, This is like Jeffrey Dahmer. It's it's this, exactly Jeffrey Dahmer. this is
3: more
1: like racial and class
0: issues
3: yes. than anything,
1: but
0: yeah. And I was like, Even if there is like black homophobia, you don't have to keep rushing to bring it up even in case it doesn't apply but i but well, that's a...
1: like the crossfit thing again you know they can't they can't go a minute without mentioning black homophobia and patriarchy and whatever it's just it's a knee-jerk reaction with a lot of the crowd yeah, it it is, and I,
3: right and i think yes exactly <laughs> exactly um i also think it's always fascinating to me how communities of color and especially i think in the u.s what i've i've seen this with Black, gay, you know, black communities being constantly decried as homophobic. That's always the first yeah. thing that people turn to. What's fascinating to me is that, you know, as someone who quote-unquote grew up in Indiana, I want to go, so what are we saying that white communities are not? I mean, when it's convenient, so for instance, when we talk about young LGBTQ youth, right, we're often talking about, oh, you know, all these homophobic, conservative, right-wing Christians are kicking their children out. But no one is rising up to say, this just shows how homophobic white people are. Right.
2: (laughs) Right. Even, even, Even though we have whole groups like the Klan who specifically target gays.
3: Right. And black people. Yes.
2: Yes.
0: But also those those laws that are being overturned, who passed them in the first place. So Like black people aren't uh, passing laws on, on mass like that. No. But, 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 but the thing was that I was telling the people were coming at me. I'm like, I'm not even against you talking about black homophobia. If it's really a problem, talk about it. I'm just saying the hypocrisy. Like, like you, you guys never go against white gay racism. And right. it, you, you know why? Because black people cannot punish or reward you. These rich white people can. They can give you jobs at their nonprofits they can do things they can not give you work in you know if you're a freelance if you're a freelance writer and but and this girl kept coming at me so over and over again black homophobia black homophobia so i was like okay look if you're saying black people should do more give me a list of things that the white gay community has done for you but specifically for you as a black person not something for like a bunch of gay people and maybe you got in if you feel because i kept saying we're black and gay we face both the problems and black people aren't helping us
1: out so i'm like like, no, they're gay and black
0: yeah yeah so i'm like okay well then list me all the things that the gay people are doing for you that the black community is not doing because they have all the money and the resources like they actually have room to do more and she couldn't name anything but then i'm like why are you only mad at the black people then i don't understand it's a very interesting so that's why yeah, like
1: these same people that can make kevin hart apologize a million times and step down from the oscars all of a sudden they, they can't find their voice for, for uh, uh this ed buck situation or whatnot and the only thing. You you can do is come out and get to talking about black homophobia and whatnot yeah. it's just so it, it goes to it, show you how, to how
2: it works this is how it works whoever is the has the less power is going to be the, the the punching bag which is going to yeah. be the african-american community now that doesn't mean that there particularly the straight black male big, thank you thank you we have to nail it down to what it really is about that's really where it goes right there because we're the most and i'm not a, i'm not one of those people that likes to make it like we have all these problems because everybody has problems but we're the ones with the most problems. So if we're the ones that don't have any power, we're in prison. We're the less educated. Oh, it must be them. It's no matter what what happens, it must be them. And it's just turning it's turning into a wash, rinse, repeat thing. It's getting old. You know what I mean? I'm surprised it's not getting old to people with this narrative.
1: Yeah, it's 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 it's, 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 it's so obvious now. It's everybody's seeing it. as like okay, you know, so, you know, uh, a black woman gets. You know, or, you know, killed by, or raped. Remember uh, Daniel Holtzclaw situation. He was out there raping uh, a lot of women of color, uh, Hispanic and Black women, and all of a sudden, it's it's the the treatment of Black men, uh, uh, the treatment of Black women by Black men, that allowed him to be able to do this. Or give right. him the uh I, I, inspiration to do that. I agree. I just don't want
0: to take too much from Yasmin's article. I'm <laughs> <'cause, laughs> oh sorry. No,
3: yeah. no, <laughs> I'm uh, sorry. You, you know, Yasmin, <laughs> no, no, you're passionate no. about your thing. You know, I'm passionate <laughs> about my exactly, thing. Exactly, so. exactly. No, 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 no worries at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, no.
0: Like, no, like I totally agree. I
1: just I tend to digress, though.
0: Not, I, a not, a not a problem. Not a problem.
3: Not a problem.
0: All right, so that's the end of part one. Come back to hear
2: part two next time. Peace.